Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast. My name is Mike Navina, and thanks for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Dana Nielsen. And if you're not familiar with Dana, Dana is a Grammy-nominated mixer, engineer, producer, and he has worked with massive artists like Rihanna, Adele, The Smashing Pumpkins, Neil Young, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Weezer, Bob Dylan, Kanye West, and so many more. He also worked with Rick Rubin as his recording and mixing engineer as well. So in today's episode, we cover a lot of ground about you know what it's like to work behind the scenes with a producer like Rick Rubin and you know Dana shares so many great stories of working with him and we also get into an interesting conversation about what it takes to run a session at that level when you're working with artists that big how do you ensure that these sessions go super smooth and that creativity is flowing and you're getting the best out of all of your performers and Dana has a lot of great advice for what he recommends when it comes to that kind of stuff We also get into chatting about vocals because Dana has recently released a new vocal production course. And so I wanted to pick his brain a little bit about the process of capturing pro sounding vocals and not only how do you capture them, but after that, what do you have to do to get your vocals to sound like a pro modern sound? You know, what steps go into that? So in this episode, we cover all of that stuff and Dana gives us lots of great stuff to consider. So with that said, let's just jump right into today's episode because I think you're going to really enjoy it. Dana Nielsen, thank you so much for being on the Master Your Mix podcast. How's it going, man? Thanks, Mike. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's going great. Awesome. Yeah. For people who might not be familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of background on who you are, what you do, how you got into all the awesome stuff you're working on these days? Yeah. Uh, I'm a producer, mixer, engineer. Uh, my background is as a musician, a saxophone player. Saxophone's my main instrument. I play some other stuff too, but not super well, but I grew up playing saxophone. Um, went to college for that. Grew up outside of Chicago, uh, about an hour West in a little town called Geneva and, um, went to college in new Orleans at Loyola, Loyola university of new Orleans, uh, studied jazz. <laughs> and, um, I still, I still play and, uh, on a fair amount of like sessions and different projects I'm Uh, writing on or producing or or playing with whatever. Um, But I am mostly a producer, mixer, uh, engineer guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And that's what I've been doing. Um, My wife and I moved to LA in 2000, right after college. She also went to Loyola and is also a freelance musician, um, vocal contractor, uh, music therapist, and amazing session singer. So we've been uh, two, you know, West Coast freelance, the Wild West gunslingers for about 23 years now. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's always interesting. Um, So we've got, we both mostly, uh, we do a lot of work from home and we each have our own studio uh, here uh, at home. And we have, uh, an 11 year old crazy woman as a daughter and, uh, she's also very musical and, um, yeah, it's just the kind of amazing house of music over here. It's a That's lot of amazing. Fun. I love that. 
I have a uh, a six month old, so haven't Whoa. quite got to the point where she's into music yet. But uh, I, I can yeah, already see man. like she's always staring at my drums and whenever she's in my room, and it just oh uh, my gosh, yeah, I, I can't wait, I can't wait. I, I was looking at your uh, Instagram page yesterday, and uh, you have so much like awesome family stuff on there, and it's just I, I get excited uh, by that, like looking forward to the future with that stuff. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it is so fun, man. And if you uh, you know it, there, I do put plenty of moments on there, you know, especially, and, and we watch them a lot too, you know, uh, my wife and my daughter and I will go back and like, see, oh, there's so many hilarious moments of the first time, like me showing her how to use machine or, you know, a drum machine yeah. or like getting around the mic and she's like singing her heart out. And, um, I, you know, you're, it's, you have a daughter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just being in that room that you're in right now, I know, you know, listeners can't see it, but it's, it's a studio and there's equipment and drums and like, I mean, that stuff is, uh, is Kids so love whatever cool. they can hit or make noise with, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Blinking lights, bright colors, stuff you can hit, you know, nothing really changes. We just, you know, <laughs> subdue <true>. our expressions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even as you get older, you still want to do all those things. So. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Right on. So yeah. you talked about how you played sax. Um, and then how did you ultimately get into the music production side of it? Cause you know, I, I'm sure sax is, uh, you know, that'll keep you busy if you if you got the right kind of gigs. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, with a bit of hindsight, I think over the years it's become a little clearer um, how that path panned out. As someone who does love saxophone and playing music, you know, like I'm a, a child of the 80s when saxophone was on everything. And there were, you know, it, it was just a much bigger, of course, it's coming back a bit now. But I was going to say, it's coming back um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the time I was in college and really deep into it, really, you know, shedding hard and, and wanting to do that, uh, professionally, um, and full time, you know, like, do I move to New York? You know, am I gonna, what's, what's the next move? Um, it had, it, you know, it had fallen a lot out of favor since the eighties. Um, it was still obviously very popular in jazz and blues and R and B. And, you know, I played in a, an amazing reggae band through college and did a lot of jazz straight ahead jazz gigs and stuff like that. Um, but pretty much it's like, unless you're pursuing at that time, you know, unless you're really pursuing a, a jazz career, um, it's, you know, you're, you're kind of, oh, you're kind of in that zone musically. You got jazz, you got blues, occasional, other, other gigs you might spotlight on. And while I love those styles of music, um, a ton, there's so much other music that I really, really love and have a passion for and feel, uh, inspired to be a part of. And when I was, I guess, a junior in college, um, I started taking the recording techniques class and the electronic music class. And those things had always been passions. Um, even in high school, I had a, um, my wife and I had like a we were uh, high school sweethearts. And, um, so we, <laughs> we have a lot of history, but awesome. like our senior year of high school, um, her mom let us use her ThinkPad IBM laptop and we got a copy of Cakewalk and, um, we were sequencing, uh, stuff on her MIDI, you know, digital Yamaha piano for our talent shows and stuff like that. So I definitely always had been very interested in, MIDI and, you know, computers and making, making tracks really. Um, and so, um, 
then fast forward, you know, uh, many years later in these classes at school, it was like, oh, it came full circle. Here's all this great equipment I've always had a passion for. And lo and behold, it let me become uh, 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 helpful to other people in the studio. The studio became not only a place where all of this amazing equipment um, lived and uh, this new area of study and microphones and all this stuff, this, these things that were very interesting to me, but it also was like grounds for all this other creative expression by other bands that I didn't need to be a part of to help out. You know, much like you were saying earlier, it's like being, uh, you know, I always say like engineering, producing, mixing, all this stuff is really a service industry and being of service to other people's creative endeavors is like so, so fun, you know, to, um, be a part of that music that they're making, uh, especially if you're hired or invited to partake in any type of decision-making by way of producing, or just, uh, you're a handy engineer who's, uh, who, who's allowed to, to make comments, you know, if there's no producer present or something like that. Um, even just being a fly on the wall and, and hitting record and listening to their discussions and stuff. I just found it all so, uh, fascinating and enriching and, um, yeah, by my senior year, I'd been teacher assistant and uh, was in the studio all hours of the night. Uh, literally, literally, like I would leave the studio and see my professors uh, like arriving at work and I'd have class with them in, you know, a matter of minutes or hours. <laughs> um, I just loved it. And, and so by the time I um, finished school, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to still play saxophone, still be a musician, um, at heart and when applicable, but I really wanted to pursue, um, the other side of the glass, as they say, you know, producing and mixing, uh, engineering, making music, writing, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, I think a lot of people getting into this industry, like we were musicians, we love playing music. We love being around other musicians. And, you know, a lot of us have this like rock star goal or whatever, you know, you know, we want to be the stars or whatever. But I think that as you start to get into the, the studio side of things, you start to realize like just how much collaboration you can have in the studio. And then that makes it just as fun. You know, you're still working oh, on music. Yeah. You're still collaborating with people. You're having, you know, same sort of conversations about writing songs and arranging stuff. And, you know, you can still get just as much um, pleasure out of, of the process. You know, it's just different scenario. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's really, it's really fun. Uh, and, you know, I've been very, very uh, lucky to work with uh, people who are superstars, you know, and being, just being around, around them and their talent and their, you know, energy and their experience and stuff like that. Um, it, it, well, not, you know, <laughs> well, not a rock star famous in my own right. It's, it's it, like you say, it is thrilling to, be around that, be a part of it, be, uh, and I don't mean in a, in a, um, grabby overt way. I mean, just in the smallest sense, a, a, a silent collaborator at times, uh, just, uh, hitting record and making sure things don't go wrong and knowing what to do when they do go wrong. <laughs> um, so I don't, I just don't want to give the impression that like uh, I'm there to overstep bounds or getting, you know, uh, getting someone's business where it's not welcome or not, not asked of for. And, and I think that's a really, um, also a, a gratifying part of the job. Um, 
in that service mindset is um, being being helpful without being you know clobbering somebody over the head with your own ideas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that's a, a real extremely possibly the most important part of this job um, is having, you know, there's a lot of people with skills who can, you know, uh, operate pro tools real fast or um, have great ears even. Um, But it's a real um, important thing to be able to have the right energy in the studio and be gracious, be humble, be silent be, you know, be, um, attentive, um, helpful serving. Um, and, and that's tricky. That's tricky mm-hmm. for, for all of us, but I think, um, for, for many people, and especially when you're young, you know, it's real easy to just get over excited and, and, um, start talking too much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. It's, I mean, I, I remember, you know, all the bigger engineers that I talked to when I was growing up and I, I'd ask them about internships and they'd be like, your job is just to like, stay quiet in the corner. Just listen. Yeah. You know, like no one's really expecting you to talk and lead a session. We don't want that. Yeah. You know, there's other people yeah. in the room that are doing that. Um, which is interesting. So I, I'm curious to know now we've talked, we've brought up this topic, like, you know, having worked with so many big artists and different big producers in throughout your career, um, I'm curious to know, like generally, like how, how much flexibility do you typically find yourself having as far as being able to contribute your input, you know, like, uh, versus having an artist or producer kind of dictate what they want. Cause I imagine, you know, you're, it seems like you're getting hired a lot of the times as the engineer and not necessarily the producer. So you're helping carry out someone else's vision. Right. So, mm-hmm. so how, do, how does that balance work for you as far as getting your input in, um, or being able to provide, you know, your, your, your service? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a good question um, and an important distinction, and it varies uh, every, every project. Um, I definitely do a lot of um, producing, uh, less so at this point for the, the major artists. Like all my like, big credits the, um, are as a, as a mixer, as an engineer, and um, a lot of them working uh, with Rick Rubin. I've worked with him for many, many years. And... Um, he is, well, he's amazing first and foremost. And I love him and I've learned so much from him. Um, he really, um, gives there, there's plenty, uh, let's see, how do I put this? Like as a, as an engineer, um, I find that, that I often make, uh, um, at first when a session starts, like they're, they're going to be talking, they, they've already discussed a lot that I'm not privy to about what the, the project is um, maybe shooting for or going to um, sound like. I might have some preliminary, of course, discussions before the session that might be a recap of those things. Um, but along the way, especially if it's a, an ongoing session that's going to be weeks or months, you know, or something like that, um, there tends to come apart there where, you know, I get to know these people and have start to develop a bit of my own rapport. Um, if they're younger, uh, maybe a, like younger than me or same age or within that range, you know, it's, it's oftentimes, you know, easier to, um, or seems more appropriate to flow into a bit of post-session chit chat. If they're an older, like iconic type of artist, there's probably less of that, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely always 
feeling those, um, what, what feels appropriate, but typically in any long session, you kind of get to know each other, um, fairly well. And, you know, in the case of working with Rick, he's very, we've, we've been working together a long time and, um, there are plenty of times where, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on overdubs or something like that and, and talking directly with the artist. I'm not trying to steer anybody to do anything other than what the, um, direct vision of the artist and Rick is. But, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's, it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun and I don't feel ever like stifled. Um, I think, um, you know, when you're the runner or something, you're going to like talk to the, uh, the, in, or if you're the, I don't remember the, the exact rungs of the ladder, but you're always going to like talk to the next person up, you know, like mm-hmm. I remember when I was assisting, um, like Andrew Sheps or Greg Fiddleman or, Brian Hewitt or, um, Dave Shipman or, you know, um, I wouldn't be talking to Rick or the producer or whatever. Um, but you kind of have their ear, you know, maybe there's something that you're curious about in the right time. And you, you ask like the, the engineer you're assisting, like what went on there? Or like, uh, I think this might be happening or, or like, um, it, it flow, you know, and then they, they can kind of take that stuff and, um, I'm kind of meandering here. No, but I get it. It's, you're kind of like you're kind of identifying that, uh, like that production hierarchy or something like that, so that you you know you know how, where, what your place is amongst the session, right? Yeah, um, and I think I put uh, to glom onto that and and uh, expand. I think what I'm trying to say is I've been um, fortunate to have you know amazing leeway with the artists that I've gotten to work with for the most part. You know, we mm-hmm. have a great time in the studio. We all develop a rapport. Um, Rick is a very um, amazing, generous, like open ears, open heart for um, cool ideas that the artist wants to try. And, um, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. As opposed to a situation where like I'm working with the producer and and I'm hired as the engineer and you know, Dana, you know, be quiet in the corner. Don't, don't talk. You know, um, we, we always have a great, a great time. So that's great. Uh, regardless the role that, uh, I'm there to do, uh, while I'm very aware of the role and, and, and respectful of everyone uh, around me and their roles, um, there's always a lot of, uh, good, good times and, and a collaborative spirit and uh, a willingness to hear, um, cool ideas and, and stuff like that. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I was curious about that with working with Rick specifically because, you know, he's kind of famously said that he knows nothing about engineering. And so, <laughs> and I'm sure he's, I'm sure he knows much more than he gives himself credit for. But when it comes to being his engineer and carrying out his vision, you know, if he doesn't have that technical minded approach, then I'm assuming a lot of it would rest on your shoulders to kind of you know, get that sound that's in his head to come out of the speakers. So, yeah. you know, as far as achieving that, is it just like a matter of having open lines of communication and kind of meeting with him ahead of time or the artist ahead of time and, and really getting clear on that kind of stuff and then going to your own expertise of, okay, I would use this mic on this or that kind of thing? Yeah, totally. Um, and I would say that those ahead of time conversations could be very brief. Um and a lot of that stuff might um, be expanded upon as we get into it. 
Um, but yeah, very, very, uh, little usually going into it. Like I'm not being, you know, told, uh, what gear to use ever. Um, there would, there would likely be some, uh, direction or I would certainly ask, you know, depending on what the artist is and like, well, who's coming, who's going to be playing at that point. Um, if the producer doesn't know, then I'd, I'd be reaching out to the band, the artist management, um, or maybe they're coming off tour. A lot of times, you know, we're catching a session while an artist is on the road. Okay. Who's who of the band will be here to record? Are they do they want to play their own instruments? You know, all the regular stuff, like what do we need to have ready? But then by in the, in the area that I might discuss, um, ahead of time with Rick or another producer, like, um, how do you, do you have any vision for like how you want this to go? Here's what I'm thinking. Like, do we want the, the vocals isolated or, um, everybody in the room, you know, he might have some ideas about that. And I think it'd be important to get them together, you know, um, in the room for, for this, you know, or, and, and we're always, always with the caveat, like whether it's, uh, set up front or not that we're going to have, we're going to have lines everywhere. Like, so when inevitably the case becomes like, oh, we need to get, you know, this isn't, we're super inspired. You got to get in the, in the booth, you know, there's no time to be like, oh, but we only ran lines on the floor and we don't like, <laughs> you have so many, that's part of, part of working, um, especially I think with, with him, um, because there is a little info up front and then there's room, like anything could happen, you know? Um, and it's all, that's not to say that anything is disorganized. That's intentional for the artist um, and him to feel free to experiment and um, flip the whole setup on its head, move around, try something out in the living room. Like, oh, what if we do, you know, this? Uh, so many things you just prepare for. And I think that that has really served me um well in all the work that I do with, with anybody, um, before, before a session, just being ready for, for anything, um, within reason, you know, but you can kind of like, you get better and better at like seeing potential roadblocks or, or potential inspiration. You know, I'm always trying to think like, oh, what if they want to do this? You know, well, here's what we'll do. You know, we're going to move that mic out there. We're going to have a stand or five stands already set up around these areas. We're going to have the lines run, you know, um, and then all everything's on quick clips. Okay. So if we need to, like, that's the vocal mic that we've, you know, decided, like, we're not going to switch to a different mic, but we can take this off, you know, whatever you got to do. And, and me and the assistants will rehearse that stuff, um, too, you know, before the session, or maybe it's an overnight move that we realize we could be more efficient at something. And, um, I don't know. It's like, so I, I wasn't a boy scout, but it's some kind of boy scout stuff, I guess. <laughs> I love that. that. That's so cool. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's like, you've, um, you know, in, in like business, you're always trying to like create a, a positive customer experience and all that. Right. And it's like, yeah, obviously we're, we have clients, we have people coming to the studio. It's like, we got to create that, that environment that just allows people to get that best experience. And, and I love the fact that you've like, you know, even thought about like the quick clips and stuff like that, like optimizing just to make sure that like things run as fast as they can and they're just as smooth as they can. There's no hiccups and 
know? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I imagine it's like a, I imagine at that level, it's a, it's a pretty well-oiled machine as far as like, you know, making sure the sessions run real smooth. It really has to be. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you another thing that uh, I, I just love working with him, with Rick, is like in those times when things don't work out or something breaks or, um, or the artist decides they want to do um, work somewhere uh, in a different part of the studio or you know, there's some curveball that comes your way. There are, I've definitely worked with other uh, producers and artists and stuff where that is just, you know, means for explosive anger or, you know, <laughs> super frustration or, and, and Rick really is like in, incredibly um, calming and um, reassuring. And, you know, of course he'll, he'll be looking at me like, you know, let me know as soon as this is, this worked out, you know, like, Absolutely. We're on it, you know, but it's always very, um, you know, calm and he, he trusts that we'll, we'll figure this stuff out. We're in other, you know, situations it's if I'm in recording for somebody else or, you know, I'll see some serious, you know, why the, what's going on? You know, this is crazy. Get this, you know, <laughs> like there's none of that, you know, and I'm, I always, <laughs> thankfully those sessions are very rare, you know, but whenever yeah. I'm in those situations, uh, I'm always like, man, it does not have to be like this at all, you know, and I've, I've done it so many times, you know, with a crew that is calm and efficient and smooth. And, um, so it's nice. I'm, I'm just trying to give props really. And things that I've, I've learned from that, that, um, you know, there, there is another, other friends of mine say there, there is no such thing as a music emergency. You know, it's like, we're going to get through this and we're, we're working very hard to, you know, accommodate. Of course. Well, I think that that's just part of the product of like being in the room with a lot of the people like these, like a lot, a lot of people like Rick or other engineers. It's like, you kind of, you kind of learn just from observing how people run their sessions and you know, what works and what doesn't. And then through that, you, you know, you kind of take your own approach to yeah. it and you figure out, you know, how to make it as efficient as possible. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that I often think about because, you know, I often wonder with like the home studio market and a lot of people, don't have the ability to do that where they're like shadowing other engineers and seeing sessions. So they're often in their own bubble and they, you know, that's just what the studio experience is like because they've never seen anything else. So, um, you know, there's always, uh, there's, it kind of sucks that like all these big studios are closing down because it makes it harder for people to get that experience. But, uh, you know, thankfully I, I think there's a lot of great resources out there that are at least providing some insight into like, oh, it can be different. It, you know, you're you right know, though. It really, of, uh, no, there's nothing like, you know, that personal, uh, shadowing, assisting, uh, whether you're, you know, interning or assisting or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. you know, to your point, like I have always had a home studio, um, you know, even at, like, college all through college and um even first moving out to LA um in 2000 like you know like how do you get a job as an engineer you know uh, or mixer or you know um certainly not on any like you know scale or 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 big you know hip records but like anybody you know I'm always I'm always like you just have to be doing it you know uh if you if you love it enough 
you're, you're going to need to have your own equipment and it doesn't have to be a lot, you know, it could be just a laptop and, you know, garage band or whatever, you know, um, but to be doing it, you know, I would run, um, monthly ads and music connection for years, you know, in the, in the back, you know, in the early two thousands, um, for my, our, our production company, um, for a home studio, you know, and I'd, I'd constantly have, um, independent artists coming through, uh, who I'd produce and mix and, you know, co-write and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, and that really kept my skills sharp, you know, I'm constantly learning and, and, um, constantly taking courses and, and, um, so then when I did get opportunities, um, you know, those opportunities can be really fleeting and you have to be, be ready, you know, basically like pretty much every break that I've had has been, um, kind of an, an opportunity asked, see, like seen and seized, you know what I mean? Like, um, uh, being mm-hmm. in the room when like overhearing somebody can't, isn't available for something and, and really being like, I can do, can I please do that? Like, I, I know how to do that thing, you know, like give me a chance, you know, and in the most polite and <laughs> respectful way possible, but basically just keeping your chops up. And, um, you know, for me easily, it was like, tuning vocals, you know, or editing, uh, drum editing or comping. And these are a lot of things that I talk about in the, the course that I've got at the moment where like though, and I mentioned in there uh, at some point, I'm like, this is, these skills were literally the gateway for me into bigger and bigger gigs because I was doing this stuff all the time on a, on an independent home studio level with my own, um, clients and, um, and then some bigger, you know, one-off production things like Dana, can you, um, comp these vocals or can you tune this or can you edit? You know, um, I just got better and better at editing. And again, tying back to the musicianship is, is key. It's really served me very, very well, uh, as a producer, mixer, engineer, technical guy, um, with that musicianship background because it's in everything. It's in, in every comping that I do. It's in every comp and every tuning and every, like everything. <laughs> it's really a, a beautiful extension of that, uh, interest in music and history as a, as a musician and performer. Um, but I mentioned in there that like the, in that course that like, that's the stuff where I'd, I had those tools sharp. And so when I would, uh, be assisting and over here, that somebody couldn't isn't available for uh, a, a you know tuning vocal tuning gig or something like that. Like, oh, can I please? Would you please consider me for that? Like, I could definitely do that for you, you know. Or like, um, somebody's out and can't do rough mixes. Like, oh, I can totally let me. You know, um, I'm trying. There's so many, so many things that. there that that uh, that's the way that. Um, I've been able to be available and ready for, for fleet, fleeting moments that are golden <laughs> opportunities. That makes sense. And I think that that's the story that I hear time and time again on the podcast. It's like, you know, people who have harnessed, like who've worked on their craft, worked on their skills, and they're ready for those opportunities when they come their way. 
And um, yeah, I love that you mentioned that. And and yeah, things like editing, I think, you know, that's such a, a powerful part of the process that, you know, a lot of people just, they find it boring. So they don't really want to learn about yeah. it or they don't want to do yeah. it, you know? Um, and, and also like, you know, there's all these people that still think like, you know, just a great recording is all you need. You don't need to edit stuff. You just capture it perfect at the source. And, you know, there's there's some truth to that, but there's also, you know, the modern music industry is a lot different these days and you have to go deeper. Um, and so so I'd love to actually, you we talked about your course and um, I'd love to dive into that a little bit. Um, so you, you put out a vocal course, vocal production course recently, and um, I have a loaded question <laughs> for you, which is that <laughs> what is the secret to pro vocals other than just putting up a microphone and getting a singer to sing in key. Yeah. You know, what 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 steps are necessary to make a vocal sound like at that pro level? Well, um it's very much it starts with exactly what you said and and ties into, you know, what we, you know, we don't need editing, we just need a good performance. Um and that's the start, you know. Um and there are plenty of recordings where that's the end as well, you know, it's just a a recording unedited of an amazing performance. Um, I like to think that, you know, at a certain level, uh, working with a certain caliber of player, whether they're famous or not, you know, each of those individual takes is one of those performances is, you know, releasable, (laughs) you know, they're really good. And that's what this course is about, you know, um, not like making something that's not good, good. It's really like the, the harder stuff to me. Of course, making somebody who doesn't sound good sound good is hard and it's a lot of work. But a much better problem to solve is how to make, you know, pick the best parts of somebody who's amazing and like how to split those hairs. How do you decide? And, um, and you can really, so it starts with a great performance, put a mic up and, and all that. And that's really where this course begins because I don't, um, in this one, don't cover the recording part of it. Um, I had a friend of mine, um, Josh Dell, do sing and and play guitar simultaneously. You know, he had asked like, oh, should I separate the guitar? Should I play to a click and all this stuff? And I was like, no, no, no. Do like, I want like the worst case scenario <laughs> to, to, to not the right turn of phrase, but you know, like for an editor, what would be the most complicated thing? when you've got vocal bleed Mm -hmm. and there's tempo fluctuations between the takes and stuff like that. Very real world. I mean, this is like how, uh, how I like to work and very much, you know, um, learned from working with Rick too. Is like, I never want to stifle the artist or, or have them perform in a way that isn't natural to them. And usually that starts with like, well, how did you write the song? You know, or how do you, perform it, you know? Okay, well, that's great. Like, why? I don't want to mess with that. And so that's when you start, you know, relying, of course, on a bit of um, engineering know-how, maybe where to place mics to avoid, like, phase issues and um, polar patterns to choose or um, positioning in a room or all that stuff. And so I did a little bit of preliminary. um, I had Josh send me one take, and record it like on his phone video so I could kind of take a look at where the mics are and stuff. And then I followed up and um, made a little video of, of my own to him suggesting a different mic placement and that'll, you know, offer a little better rejection and stuff. Um, and that stuff is included in the 
in the course as well and the sort of bonus material stuff. But then just give me give me six takes of you singing and playing and and then the, it's really a the long form process of every step of the way <laughs> tedious as it is of going through organizing everything listening uh section by section for the like the the gold you know like listening for those like magical moments that really sound like a record um and and then when you get into some of that editing, and certainly if you get into any tuning and there's vocal bleed, that becomes a very tricky um, editing uh, game. There's a lot of ways to to handle it, and that's kind of what you, you mm-hmm. see in the in that section of the course as well as like, you know, the 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 crazy tricks and tools. Uh, that are different every time, you know, like it's really a, a lot of problem solving and creative thinking in, in editing. Um, and, and by extension producing, you know, is, um, figuring out how to solve issues. You know, the artist is gone. These takes are what we have. I have a vision for, for this type of sound. And this one take in this chorus is like the most magical, most passionate thing the the hairs are standing up in my arms but there's just this one little moment that is a little bit you know flat or sharp or something um and i can live with it if we have to but let me see if i can just touch something up um in what i know the artist was intending you know i'm never trying to like change Mm -hmm. what they're doing and i'm certainly never uh i call it like leave no trace like i i don't want you to hear it and think that it's been worked on you know and so you start tuning that little thing and then the the untuned bleed is in the guitar and like what do you do and so you have to kind of like uh you know hunt around for patches or fixes and um you know i also had you know this may have come in handy once uh i for that very reason and this is something that um we're prone to do in the studio with an artist who's playing and singing at the same time um after we've got um, it's great if it's after it's been comped, but if I know that I'm not going to be with the artist anymore, once the recording is done and I'm going to be comping it like after they go back home or whatever, um, I'll have them play, I'll record both mics and everything, but, um, just play through, uh, instrumentally. And that'll give me like all the, all the parts, at least on the guitar, you know, um, that I can use for little, little patches here and there if necessary. If it's already comped, and this happens sometimes too, when, um, you know, uh, <laughs> like working with an artist that's uh, playing and singing. I remember, I love this story about the Avett brothers. I remember uh, uh, meeting up with them in North Carolina, um, and we we're at uh, Mitch Easter's studio for some some overdubs, and um, and their manager Dolph, who's amazing, he he had said he was explaining to. Uh, to me and the guys like this, this opportunity for a sync came in and it's this song. Um, and they need, but they need an instrumental, you know, very common for sync licensing and stuff like that. Um, and I said, well, um, we, we don't have that. And because that song is just vocals and acoustic guitars and it was recorded, you know, um, all at once, you know, so there's bleed. If we just mute the vocals, 
you'll hear them in the, in the guitar, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, you know, what we could do for this uh, and have done in the past is like, I'll play you into your headphones. We'll set you guys up the same way as I remember we did this uh, back at Shangri-La. And, and like, you just play guitar along with the master take. I think the song had already been out. Um, and you play along with it on guitar so that it's going to match the tempo and the pauses and the inflections and all that stuff. Um, and we'll basically have like a skeleton take based on the performance that um, people are used to and that this, you know, film wants to use, or I don't remember what it, film or TV show or something like that. And that's would definitely, I've done that in the past to create an instrumental mm-hmm. out of something that has no instrumental. Love that. Um, <laughs> but they heard that process and I just, I love them to pieces for so many reasons, but this, this among them where like that to them, they, they immediately said, Oh no, 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 we're not going to forget it. You know? <laughs> and then it wasn't like, um, it, it was like, we don't want to mess with that song to get this sync deal or whatever, you know, it was, it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. didn't even think about it for a second. You know, it was like too precious to them the way it is recreating it in that way would be inauthentic, you know, whatever the case may be. And I'll never forget. I was just like, you guys are freaking awesome. <laughs> Much as I love a good sync opportunity, my goodness, you know, I just thought that was, that was so cool. Um, but yeah, things like that, like grabbing, uh, using an existing performance, uh, as a sort of template when there was no click to grab, um, pieces that become very useful or might become useful during, you know, post-production editing type of stuff. For sure. Yeah. You got to get creative with it sometimes. Yeah. What, um, what are some of the most common editing tools that you rely on for getting your vocals to sound nice and clear? Editing tools for vocal clarity. Um, probably more mixing things. Um, you know, the tools in editing, I guess, um, I'm a huge Melodyne fan, um, which isn't going to add to any clarity, but certainly a big part of my vocal, um, you know, vocal production process, whether it's for tuning or timing. Um, I, I also end up doing a lot of like, um, volume stuff in there by way of the amplitude tool. Um, I don't go crazy with it, but it's kind of like clip gain before clip gain, you know, and Mm -hmm. you can, you can see it and you're already in there kind of massaging things. Certain syllables really pop out, especially if I'm getting vocals that I didn't record and they maybe are dynamic and weren't recorded with any compressors or anything like that. Um, uh, it, then there's there's lots of little syllables and words that that pop out, or maybe somebody didn't record with compression and has already made a comp. And there's you know takes coming in like, oh, well, this one's way louder than the other. Anyway, so I, I I find it's a really great tool to work a lot of that stuff out, um, even as a bit of a bit of pre mixing the timing, the tuning, the volumes, uh, sibilance. Uh, definitely will. Um, I don't use the sibilance tool within Melodyne. I think it's really cool that they've got that, but I have I haven't had the best results with it. So I still just cut those s's manually and use the amplitude tool to to just turn them down. Yeah, and then in mixing, um, you know, the keeping stuff clear. I would say the clarity question is more on the recording front end and then the mix processing. Um, 
as well as EQ. Um, and, and I mean, not just like additive EQ and stuff like that, but, uh, I think a lot of clarity, it's easy to think of like top end for clarity. And of course that, that is a great thing, but I spent a lot of time, um, getting rid of or lessening muddy frequencies or things that, that are building up, you know, especially in like a guitar and a vocal or, or something like that might have a lot of, a lot of build up in the mids and low mids and things like that. Um, depending on how it was mic'd and stuff. Um, so I find a lot of that, uh, and I, I will use different tools. I tend to use different tools to um, make those types of cuts and sort of subtractive surgical style EQ. Um, and and then um, uh, I might add the more fun, sparkly stuff with uh, something a bit more broad and colorful or something like that. For sure. You'd mentioned Melodyne. Uh, do you have a preference of using Melodyne versus a tool like Autotune? And, and if so, why? Yeah, I use them both. Um, and certainly for different purposes. And I, I'd say my answer to that um, will pay no regard to the fact that, of course, Autotune has a graphic interface uh, where you can do similar type of work. And that's where I started. Like before Melodyne was even out, um, I was doing graphic mode auto-tune for different producers and songwriters and stuff like that. Um, And then when, when Melodyne came along, it just, it was just a whole other level for me. Um, So I, I use auto-tune all the time, especially for a quick, a quick fix. Um, and for certain styles of music where it's the sound, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't add auto-tune as a mixer to somebody because it's, I would go in and, and potentially tune something that needed it with, with Melodyne. Um, I'd, I'd probably talk to them about it first or something, but, but I definitely use auto-tune for that auto-tune sound uh, on something that I'm writing or... Um, performing um sometimes i'll never forget like working on the rihanna loud album uh, i was working with these amazing producers from atlanta melon moose and each day it was like this writer camp and each day there'd be a different top liner coming through and we, we were parked at you know one studio for a week and, and different people would come through each day and um that in that world, like people are, were tracking through auto tune. That was the first time I'd ever seen that. And I was just like, what? <laughs> this is so I've wrong. Always thought that seems know? like such a risky thing. Yes. That's what I thought. Um, and man, I learned so much on, on that session. I was engineering, uh, all these different songs. Funny story. When I was asked to, by the studio manager, I'd worked at, uh, the past studios a, a ton on various records, um, Chili Peppers and Slayer and like long stints there. And so I knew, I knew them well. And the studio manager called and was like, would you have any, you know, I thought of you for this, this writer camp that's um, coming in and, and it's just for like a couple of days. And um, would you be into that? And I was kind of like a camp, like for kids, it's kind of like a, you know, I, I guess, you know, and this is my internal dialogue, not, not yeah, to her, course, yeah. you know, 
and, and I thought like, well, I'm very passionate about songwriting and that craft. And I, I read books about it and study it and like, you know, always trying to be better at it. And so I just thought like, yeah, heck yeah, I'll do this. Uh, especially if somebody's going to be like teaching kids songwriting, these sound like fundamental skills that I would love to get better at, you know, little did I know is like the beginning of like the writer camp air, you know, saga stage of, you know, state of affairs. And it was massive. And, um, Mel and Moose had, uh, written this song, uh, this track, it became, uh, the song raining men, uh, rock city, two brothers, uh, did the top line and it got picked right away. And so we were just in the mix for a long time, um, making, making tracks. And, um, but those guys, even the top liners, I think at one point, one of them was really, uh, super fast at pro tools and was like, Dana, here's how you do this. And at the time I thought it was like so wrong, you know, like, uh, coming from this more, uh, I don't know, like recording world, uh, um, it just, you'll, you'll know what I mean. I think, you know, where, you know, you record it, you set up a vo- a mic in front of a vocalist and you, you do a full pass and we're going to playlist everything and we're going to meticulously go through and, and comp it. And honestly, like that is the way that I, I would work with most um, artists making an album. Um, but if you're moving fast, if you're writing, certainly I use this flow ever since then, like for myself too, getting out, um, vocal ideas and stuff like that, like tracking through it and then dragging, building the comp on the fly, you know, with a, like, it's so funny talking about this. This is exactly, I've got like track presets that I've made that are exactly like this recording through auto tune onto a slew of tracks below. They've all got, you know, some panning. I've got background tracks I got, and this is the way that, that I was taught on this, this writer's camp session that, um, that I've, I've used ever since, uh, on, on a certain style of fast paced, um, writing, especially where auto tune, that sound is helpful, um, and, and cool. And of course you can always bypass the plugin. So if I don't yeah, want it, course. I just hit bypass. But, um, so do you mean that you'll have like, uh, is it like you have like one main recording track and then below that you'll have like kind of like lead vocal, double vocal, yeah. like pan, pan harmony left, right. And then yes. you just kind of like record on the one track and you're just dragging down to like yeah. whatever. That's exactly. awesome. I love that. Yeah. I, I've done that a handful of times and it's always a lot of fun because it, it definitely makes you work fast, but it you, does. You, you have to be like mixed mind, mixing mindset at that point when you're recording to like know where things are going to go and how they're all going to fit. Yep. And I'm, I mean, well, two things about that is like, I'm always in mixing mindset, always, always. And I think that's reinforced working with Rick as well as like he, and, and by extension me, like you always want to hear everything finished, even on the go down, you know, like it should sound like a record, like right away, you know, the artist is doing their part and they, they probably already sound like a record anyway. So why would I, you know, process things later for, for say like, so, or, or, um, wait, you know, I, I never, I never have a, this will sound better later mentality, you know, like I'm getting everything raw and then you'll see, you'll see just later, just hang in there. It's going to sound great. Like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm doing all that right away. And that doesn't mean I won't like improve upon it later when, if I hear it, but I'm never leaving room for improvement. Like I'm always trying to, and I'm always printing, uh, roughs, even in this, like, you know, podcast recording, I've got, 
my uh, vocal mic coming in. I've got you separately and I'm printing a mix. Like there's always a mix being printed on the go down because so much can get lost. You come back to it even the next day, if not a week or month later, and you're in a different studio maybe or whatever, even though the Pro Tools faders are the same as they were, it's like, what? Something, it's not, it doesn't sound the same, you know? You go back to that, you know, tracking rough as we call it. And it's like, oh damn, yeah, that's right. We had the plate on the console and then there was this other thing that was going and the, listen to how much louder the vocal is then. Like that's because this plugin isn't on this computer and it's much, you know, like whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. having a two track of what it was is really an important reference. Um, and for some uh, artists, you know, like Neil Young or, Bob Dylan, you know, like those guys are gunslingers, man. Like they will, they'll have that tracking rough and, and be like, that's the shit like that. That's it. You know? (laughs) So, you you know, case in point, it's like, I'm always, uh, I'm never saving any gas for later. You know, I'm always trying to get it amazing on the go down and, you know, doing tracking through autotune and that, type of scenario is an extension of that. You know, you're getting the tuning you want, uh, baked in (laughs) and, uh, and, and I think, you know, for the right process, that's really amazing because you could play the same piece of audio, same vocal through live, uh, sort of a real time instance of autotune and get different results every time, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, having it baked in and, and working with artists who want that. I mean, I'm talking about recording artists and top liners who know the tune speed. Like, yeah, put, um, put me on, you know, 30. Like, yeah. they're accustomed to tracking through auto-tune. So this isn't me Yeah, you're not recording y- Neil Young through that. No, no. <laughs> um, and so that's a, a great way to um, bake it in. You're getting their vocal performance, but you're also you're getting their performance through auto-tune and you're getting auto-tune to react to their performance in the exact way that you want it to because they Mm -hmm. performed it and it went through it live and it was captured and it's never going to change again, you know? And that's super helpful, especially when you start stacking things because um, it's baked in and you'll hear those discrepancies and it's not a type of thing where like, if I was doing it all real time, I'd be like, oh, Autotune didn't catch it that time, but I've just played it back now and it seems okay or whatever. Um, so it, it's baked in. But I guess going back to your original question, when I would use Autotune and when Melodyne, uh, yeah, Autotune for that quick move, um, tracking in that quick way. And then Melodyne for the more, um, what, I, what I call for that chorus, the more natural uh, vocal production where you're the, the leave no trace vibe where sure. I don't want anyone yeah. to know that it's been, uh, worked on. Um, Absolutely. I can really get in there and, and do pretty incredible touch-ups without, uh, making it known to the listener. And honestly, like when I'm doing that style of tuning, I'm never going for perfection. Like, in, in the, in like in the, in a tuning sense, there's nothing I like loathe more than, and I hear it so much on like 
movies and shows where there's music and stuff like that. And I'm always like, who is tuning this stuff? Like, (laughs) it's so like, obviously I have like a critical ear as I'm sure you do or any, any listener to a podcast such as yours is like, knows what I'm talking about. Like probably most people listening don't know what, what we're talking about, but man, it like, it doesn't have to sound like that. Like I know maybe this actor isn't a professional singer, but I can tell they can carry a tune and yet they sound like a robot, you know, nobody holds a note like that crazy, you know, like give them a little breath, you know? So (laughs) even like, even if I tune something around, like I'm, I don't want it to be too perfect because again, that will set off alarm bells, at least in my Mm -hmm. ears that like, uh, this has been tampered with, you know? Um, so I, I like to leave, make sure that it's not too, uh, clamped down in that way. Of course. So it's interesting then because with the idea of recording through autotune, like autotune is one of those tools that, you know, it is a little unpredictable. And like you said, you can record the same, you can record through it multiple times. It's going to react differently every single time. So with that randomness of autotune, I'm sure that you hear moments where you're like, that's not the note I would have gone for. Or like, you know, it's correcting something that maybe it wasn't supposed to be. Right. So, so as far as tracking through that, like, how are you, are you just like, you know what? That's the sound. You know, it's 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 supposed to kind of sound like that. Or are you still looking for the kind of perfect note and just hoping that autotune does the right thing? Are you? Do you mean like when it squabbles and goes funny for a minute, and that's part of the sound? Yeah, sometimes it'll kind of like think it's a certain note, and it'll try to auto, it'll try to correct it, right? So you get those kind of like yeah. autotune. Yeah, sounds, I think I the guess, technical right? term term is squabble. No, I, I don't know that. I'm just making that up. Um, uh, I was going to say, uh, you, no, you told no. me. <laughs> um, I think it really depends on the artist or producer. Anyone who, like, I, I definitely don't go looking for that. Um, I think it just depends. There's times, you know, if you're making a, like a T-Pain style track and you want like the super hard thing, then then you'll set it really aggressively and you'll get plenty of those squabbles. <laughs> um, and then it just becomes a matter of picking the right ones. It's another creative choice. And on the go down, that's part of the fun of committing it is you get to pick the best squabbles, you know? And there are definitely, because it's, it's endless possibilities, the way that someone is singing into autotune and, and their own performance each time is going to, make it react a little differently. And whether you're going for squabbles or not, um, for damn sure there'll be favorites, you know, and and it's great to capture them live. Um, Kind of like, you know, when, when I have a section in a mix where I want to do like some tape echo uh, feedback loopy type of stuff. I'm never like, I might automate it, in the plugin for a little bit, you know, to get a sense of what's going on, assuming I'm using a plugin, you know, but eventually, uh, because, and and I guess this is a little side note, like, man, I wish you could save automation playlists, uh, (laughs) you know, different passes of automation on things. Um, but because you can't, um, I'm always like, printing that stuff through onto an audio track because it becomes a performance much like the audio, the, the auto tune vibe. And if you don't capture it, like it's never going to be the same again. Even if you like 
have it all on lock and automation in the plugin or whatever. So with that in mind, I think, you know, hunting for squarbles is the same type of vibe. You know, you're, you, sometimes you just get the magic ones and, um, and you got you got to make sure you, you captured them because it probably won't <laughs> happen again like that. You know? Absolutely. I love it. We, we, I think we've definitely coined the term we, we, we squabble like it's, it, they got to start using it now. <laughs> Auditing squabbles. Yeah. 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 There's going to be a, a squabble knob in, in the plugin. Yeah. The yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's awesome. And yeah, I'm always fascinated by the people who do the real time auto tune thing. Cause it's just like, it, it's always just felt scary to me. So I've never, never really messed with yeah. it too much, but, but it makes yeah. sense. Like if sometimes that's the sound you're going for, you, you don't mind having that auto tune affected sound, then yeah, like why not record with it? Right. And I guess obviously it depends on the styles of music that you're working on and you know, yeah. you're, you're not going to do it with a Neil Young or a Bob Dylan, that kind of thing. But yeah, although they would, they would be prone to try it. You know, they're, you they're both, uh, oh yeah. I mean, they're both very, uh, adventurous in their own ways. Love um, that. Yeah. But, um, I had something I was going to share too, about the, um, I lost uh, it's it. All good. It'll come back team. to you. It's all good. Yeah. 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 Um, I'd love to shift gears just briefly to talk a little bit about your mixing process as well. Cause I, I need yeah. to do a lot of mixing too. Um, yeah. and, uh, one of the things uh, on your website, you had a great resource that outlined five mix power tips. And, uh, the, and the first one that was on there, I thought was really cool to read. And I think it's a, it's, it's a very important thing for people to, to grasp the concept of, which is that you recommend that people start their mixes by finding the drama in a song. Mm, I was wondering yeah. if you can elaborate on that and, and what you mean by that and why that's so important to start there. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks. I, you know, it's, it's funny, like I made that a while ago and I wasn't even remembering as you were teeing this up, like, what was the first one? And like, <laughs> oh yeah, find the drama. Yeah. These are all, uh, that whole, um, mixed power tips, um, is all kind of like philosophical stuff that could be applied to pretty much anything. Um, and things that I use on every mix, uh, literally finding the drama is so important. I was just doing it yesterday. Um, every time I mix, what it means is when, when I first have a, a, a session come in and I've got the routing done and I've got the, my sort of prep all sorted and I'm ready to like dive into this thing. Um, especially when it's a song with a high dynamic range, meaning there's like soft parts and big parts. The song I was mixing, uh, last night, it's a, a jazz, amazing uh, jazz ensemble with an orchestra and choir and soloists. And so this is stuff that definitely has a dynamic range. And the, the, it starts out with just two instruments, vocal and bass. And by the end of it, it's full, massive, you know, drums cranking, orchestra cranking, um, choir, you know, big time. And so with especially with stuff like that and I'll do the find the drama even with a more or less static dynamic um track cuz cuz it just helps um is I'll go right to that drama point so for this song I was mixing last night um I don't even I don't even listen to the beginning yet um I go to the big part the ending the the big finale and I'll keep that on loop for for a while and uh, almost like finish the mix. I'm not, not, I'm not going to get into automation 
at all, but I'll get a static balance and tones, um, you know, working with EQs and compression to make everything in that drama moment work together. Um, often it has a lot to do with, with low end and, and depth perception and like getting, getting that whole, if this is going to be the, the drama and this is the extent, this is the edges of your palette, (laughs) everything else, it, it will, will be sorted out behind it. And so whether the drama is at the very end of the song, like it was in this case, or maybe it's several places throughout the song in the choruses or whatever, um, I tend to start there and get all the tonal stuff worked out because that's where it's going to be the most difficult to get everything working together. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I'll drop markers on the sections before and I'll go one marker back and okay, like now I got to just make sure that this section flows into this section, you know, and then, then I'll get that going. And, and there I might start working on automation because there's going to need to be, um, Things need to sound different when it's going like small to big, whether it's levels or again, that sort of depth perception that I'm talking about. If you have everything sort of like high passed and thinned out for this magnificent ending to give (laughs) all the, you know, bass and low end to the drums and bass or or whatever. But then you have this like, uh, as was the case in the song I'm talking about, an, an acapella choir moment before that. I can't have the choir all high-passed and thinned out for this, you know, giant ending with the full band. It's got to sound like full, you know? So there are definitely times where the lengths you go tonally to fit the drama onto that canvas, so to speak, requires some more aggressive tonal shaping to give that depth and width and perception of the drama. And then when you back up and you, you, you might need to like readjust uh, I never go for it right away, but oftentimes I'll find like if it's a real high dynamic thing, I might need to adjust some of the um, tonal changes that I made to individual groups of sounds like a choir or an orchestra. Like, oh, now I've got room to let the cellos breathe and the, you know, the low end. I, mm-hmm. I can use some of this here, but I can't make it just as loud as this end section. So you start like back stacking your, your dynamics and it's so fun when you've done that work. And it is a little funny to work on a mix backwards, but you just do that in the beginning. And then it's really fun to get to the point where you've made it to the beginning of the song and you can hit play and those dynamics all work. And the ending is the, or whatever the drama is, is the biggest moment. You're never backed into this corner where you're like, crap, I I can't go any further because... Mm-hmm. So I really work very hard, especially mixing in the box, to really carefully preserve all of that headroom. And um, even in styles that need to sound aggressive and smashed, I always start full full headroom and turning up my monitors as much as I need to to keep me out of the red and really hear everything and um, preserve those dynamics. And then once I have a balance and dynamics that I love un, you know, unprocessed or unsmashed, then it's a just kind of a fun game of like, okay, now, now I got something to work with and I can start smashing this into stuff, you know, for some, some, you know, harmonic things. And, but yeah, if I don't get that right and work out those drama moments ahead of time for the maximum full bandwidth capacity that they ought to be, um, 
then I find myself backing into corners I can't, they're much harder to, to sort out. For sure. Yeah. I think that all of that makes a lot of sense. It's like, yeah, typically those drama moments are going to be the parts that have the most instrumentation and there's like all yeah. this chaos and stuff like that. And so, like you said, it's going to be the most challenging part to get everything sound and clear. So if you can tackle that first and get the clarity, then throughout the rest of the song, it should just fall into place. Yeah, it does. Do you find that you, um, so you'll find like your, your drama section. Do you then, you'd mentioned, uh, automation as far as like EQ or volume. Do you frequently find yourself like pulling like those verses, you know, let's just say the chorus is the drama section. Will sure. you, will you end up like pulling the verses down in volume so that like there is more of that juxtaposition between the verse and the chorus or do you find that sometimes like you know or or are you like more of like the we'll turn the chorus up eventually like you Mm -hmm. know i find that like often like some some people push the choruses louder some people will push the verses lower i mean it's all the same thing at the end of the day it's all the same thing yeah yeah um and song by song uh, i would say to answer your question differently uh, because it's six of one half dozen the other, and we all want that loud chorus. And if it takes a soft, uh, a quieter verse to make that um, feel that way, uh, you could get about it, go about it either way. Um, but what I will say is, doing those kinds of global moves on, say, a master fader um, would definitely be a a last kind of finishing move. So while I might want those dynamics and that drama to really explode, um, the first, the first place I'll look to do that is at the source, you know, whether that's individual instrument tracks or, or groups, I'm, I'm always mixing into like STEM ish submasters, um, mostly because it lays out and I, uh, nicely on about 16 faders and, um, I can, use two hands and basically mix the whole thing. Uh, most on even large ensembles um, on that. And that's what I was mentioning earlier, where I always have a layer of VCAs that I can spill into each of those submaster individual tracks. But um, I'm always trying to preserve that drama and mix those soft verse, loud chorus moments um, in the individual tracks or uh, in more likely in the submasters. Gotcha. Um, and so then it's kind of baked into the into the the mix as opposed to doing that move globally on on a master fader but i will do that i'm not saying that's a bad mm-hmm. thing to do i definitely uh love when the song asks for it when it's the right move to do what we call the slippery fader on those choruses if needed you know that's a great trick and it often works best post-processing. Um, so if I need to do that, if I still need more power out of a chorus, um, imagine this, like all these submasters are being mixed into a, a stereo master, whether it's hardware or software. Um, if you are trying to achieve a louder dramatic chorus by pushing the faders that are going into that master fader, it's just going to eat up that compressor or anything dynamic you have Mm -hmm. on that master fader. Um, So it doesn't quite have the same result. So when I, when I do those types of moves, I usually have all the dynamics and saturation, if applicable and harmonic stuff right where I want it. And 
I don't want more saturation and harmonics and, and crud on these choruses. I just want them to pop louder. Um, so ultimately what I'll end up doing in those cases is automating like the compressor output or the limiter output on the master fader, um, because that'll truly feed the, the mix print hotter, um, on those choruses. And, um, yeah. And so oftentimes, because if you're like me, like you're, and, and that is a last resort, the sort of what we call slippery fader, um, you've already used up all your dynamics, so you can't push the chorus harder, but so you do like, at least in my workflow to do that type of global move would be making the verse quieter. Um, and, and oftentimes it's like, you know, I like the song to start nice and loud and proud usually. And so there's a, in, in all of mixing, um, you know, there's one of the, one of the other tips is like a, a, a balance is not a mix, you know, everything moves, you know, and it's all perception, whether you're aware of what's going on as a listener or not. The, the mix part, I always, everything starts as a balance. Like that's the way, at least for me, that's the way I have to start is getting a static balance that feels good. And then you mix to amplify things or disguise things or just basically call the attend the, the listener's attention to something new. And so even when I'm, you know, doing these global moves to increase chorus volume or whatever, a perfect example would be like, I might start the song at zero DB, let's call it like right where I had it on the, the main thing. And, and as the verse goes along over, over time, you know, it's going to, subliminally drop let's call it 2 db over the course of 45 seconds or something like that and that all works out well because the end of the pre-chorus kind of dies out and then right where the chorus goes the output of that limiter is going to jump 2 db and like blow your face off and then but we have to we have to set that trick up again you know so i'll probably let the chorus ring out and go uh back down a little bit and then down further throughout the course, like so uh, verse rather. So subtly over time, things are sort of resetting so we can like come back with another, you know, Love it. Yeah. Uh, quick smack in the face, you know, so you don't really feel it. Um, I always think, I don't know if I mentioned it in the mixed power tips, but the, the song that from my own experience um, growing up where like I felt that, feeling that I think about when I think about this sort of, you know, the slippery fader vibe is, um, uh, the green day song on dookie. Um, and now I can't think of the, the name. My life, my name and a fucking, uh, damn, I can't think of the name. Um, I can hear it in my head anyway. You know, but oh yeah, the, you know the verse is like but like Longview. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh man, those chorus. I have chills just thinking about it. Those choruses hit, and it's just like ah, you're like the Maxell tape guy in the chair. You know, it's it's so cool. You know, um, I did that trick um, for sure <laughs> on um, a really awesome album. 
let me see if I can find this and send it to you. The, by the pom poms, the first song reminded me of that Longview vibe. It doesn't really sound like like it, but I really wanted to do that that tr- that uh, trick for the choruses. And um, I remember uh, Stephen Markison was mastering it, and he's like. Man, I uh, see your, you know, 3DB chorus boost there, you know, like it's fun or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a that's a really fun retro awesome. album <laughs> that my buddy Billy Muller did. Sometimes um, it's just like a very powerful move just to like really lean into yeah. the automation, right? Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Super fun. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, if people want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to to do that? and to follow the work that you're doing and maybe even hire you. Yeah. Awesome. Um, my, probably my website, uh, Dana Nielsen.com. Um, N I E L S E N. Um, because my name, you know, often gets misspelled and I think if you misspell it, you'll find me anyway. Um, but, uh, I have some other sites that are easier to speak on the radio or on the podcast or whatever. Um, one of them for the mix, uh, the, Mixed Power Tips is called studiopowertips.com. Um, and uh, yeah, if you go to my site um, or if you get the Power Tips, you'll, you will be connected. I'm on Instagram at uh, Danafrio. It looks like Dana Frio. Uh, Dana, yeah. Um, I'm on all, you know, all the, uh, the TikToks and the Facebooks and uh, <laughs> my, my Chicago is coming out. Um, yeah, but my site is a probably first stop to you know, find me, I've got form, um, you know, contact stuff on there and, um, place to upload your songs. If you want to work on something together and, uh, you can find my course on there. I've got a sample lesson for that thing, um, on there. So awesome. yeah, that's a good place to, good place to start. I'll definitely have, no, uh, have the links in the show notes as well. So people have oh, that. fun. Yeah. Thanks, man. Awesome, man. Well, Dana, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. lots of cool stories that you shared here. And I think people are going to learn a lot from this one. Uh, I hope so, man. It's my pleasure, Mike. And uh, it flew by for me, at least. I'm like, wait, we're done. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff. And, and you're a delight to chat with. And um, yeah, look forward to keeping in touch. Right on, man. Thank you again. So that was my interview with Dana Nielsen, and I really enjoyed that. I loved learning about his experience with working with Rick Rubin and how they set up their sessions to run really efficiently with that. Um, I also really enjoyed getting into his vocal editing process and the tools he likes to use. I also thought it was cool, too, to learn about how he likes to deal with bleed when it comes to editing vocals. And I thought that example of uh, recording a guitar and vocal at the same time was a great example to talk about as far as, you know, how do you make something like an isolated vocal track or isolated uh, instrumental track? So I love his creativity on how he tried to um, troubleshoot through that process and get those clean tracks for that sync deal that he was talking about. So it really goes to show the level of experience and expertise that a pro engineer puts into their job. So yeah, I really enjoyed chatting with Dana and thought he shared a lot of awesome information and definitely lots of great stuff that is actionable for you whenever you're working on your next track. So whether it comes down to making sure that your sessions run smoothly when you're recording an artist or some of the vocal stuff that he was talking about, you know, I think there's a lot of great actionable stuff here in this episode. To, to take and to implement. And I'm sure if you follow his advice here, you're going to get much better results. So definitely try that out. 
Now, if you want additional support when it comes to your sessions and making sure that your songs sound the absolute best that they can, then I want to take a minute to tell you about my program, Amplitude. Inside of this program, you get one-on-one personalized mentorship and support throughout the entire process. I help you throughout the recording, editing, and mixing stages, and when you're done with your mixes, you can literally send me tracks and get feedback on what is needed to help make sure that you get the sound that's in your head to come out of your speakers. So whether that includes, you know, needing some additional EQ or compression or volume or whatever, whatever the song needs, I will personally work with you to make sure that you get the results that you're looking for. And I know how helpful this is because for so many people, they're just working on their own, second guessing themselves, wondering if their tracks even sound good enough. And I don't want you to abandon your songs because you're just stuck, you know. With this program, you're going to get the answers you need to push forward and to feel proud of the music that you're making and ultimately release it and spread the word and share your talents. And that's what this is all about, right? So if you're interested in learning more about Amplitude, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com forward slash Amplitude. And on that page, you'll get all the details. And there's even a spot to set up a call with me. I'd love to talk a little bit more about your processes. And I'd love to talk about your goals and make sure that you're a perfect fit for this program because I only work with people inside who I truly believe I can help. So if you're interested, again, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com forward slash Amplitude. And I'd love to hop on a call with you and learn more about how I can help. All right, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the very end. Can't wait to chat with you in the next one and we'll talk soon. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit masteryourmix.com.